Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Loved. Love is who God is, and he first loved us. Loved to love. The greatest news of all time is that God loved us and gave his son Jesus for us, that we can be saved by grace through faith in him. We believe understanding the love of God and his love for us leads to obedience. God's love isn't only emotional, but full of steadfast action. Our identity is found and rooted in abiding in Jesus. We are loved to love. Morning, City Life. Good morning. How we doing? Awesome, awesome. So good to be here on Father's Day to share with you. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. So amazing to be here and just share with you and then to also celebrate all the dads in the room. Um, We just thank God so much for all of you here at City Life. And so today we want to talk about a father's love. You know, we... As dads, you know, we usually get a bad rap, especially around Father's Day. The pastor gets up and kind of beats on us pretty bad and then sends us home and says, now go love your family. It's like, what? I don't, what happened? What, I, I feel judged and I don't like it. But no, we're, we're going to talk about a father's love. Give honor to God. Thank God for Pastor Jerome. Um, who's the father of this house. Yeah, no, you can give it up for that. You can give it up for him. Thank God for him. Thank God for my wife. My wife is here. Hey, babe. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. That's my good thing. God says that uh, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. So thank you for giving me favor. Appreciate you. Her cooking three beautiful humans, because of that, I am a dad. So, I mean, you know, there's that. So, we're going to dig into a familiar passage of Scripture today. We're going to talk about the prodigal son, um, arguably one of the most popular parables that Jesus taught. And we mostly usually focus on the sons and our identification with the sons. And don't get me wrong, we... We'll definitely do a little bit of that. But I want to talk about and I want to focus on the Father. I want to talk about and more importantly outline how the Father loves. Because I think that in that, especially in this season where our world is in chaos and so many things are in disharmony, so many people have disunity, it's important that the love of God is shown. And that starts at home. Jesus, when he gave the great commission, he, he sent them out uh, before his ascension. And he said, you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, and uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem is home. And so if we can get love right at home, it will be easy to get love right in the world. 
if we can get love right, starting with loving ourselves, right? I would that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. And then again, love your neighbor as yourself. We don't always talk about that part of it, right? We talk about love neighbor, but how many of you know it starts with how you love yourself? And so we want to deal with that love so that we can go out and display it. Amen? Luke 15 starts with the tax collectors and the sinners drawing near to Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling about that, saying that he receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus doesn't directly respond to them. He responds with three different parables. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. The second one, the lost coin. And then he ends it with the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. His point was that the lost ones matter to God. And there is great rejoicing when those lost ones are found. Jesus takes time to give the backstory with the parable of the prodigal son, and I believe to really dive, dive into and drive home the depths of God's love for us. So let's read Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to feed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, but is alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Almost done. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he, as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf 
because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I read that entire passage so that we could first let that sink in. And then let's talk about how the Father loves. The first way that he loves, he loved him enough to let him go. He loved him enough to let him go. The younger of the two sons asked for his inheritance from his dad, right? We got that from the story. It's customary in those days that the eldest son not only receive a double portion of the father's inheritance, but he's also the first in line to do so. It was customary to wait until, you know, the father actually died to get an inheritance. And yet, the younger son didn't. It was customary, even if, if, even if the father doesn't die, the father at least chose to divide up his wealth and give it to the sons, not the sons asking. So it was bad enough that the younger son jumped in line to get an inheritance, but it was worse that he even asked for the inheritance because it was as if to say he wished his father dead. And yet the father did not argue with him. The scripture doesn't say, the story doesn't record that he put up a fight or or told him where to get off. The father loved him enough to give him what he asked for. And sometimes, for better or for worse, God loves us enough to give us what we ask for. In my 20s, I asked for a wife. And he gave, he gave it to me. No, because in my 20s, me and Jenny weren't, weren't talking at that time. I was married prior. And I went through hell. Don't get me wrong, there were some good times. There were some enjoyable times. But the last three years of that marriage... Make me thankful for what I have now. 
Because if I, had I listened to what God was trying to tell me in high school, I wouldn't have gotten married to that one. I would have searched out the one that I fell in love with the first time. But in wanting what I wanted, because God is a loving father, he said, this one's going to hurt, but I'll give it to you. And how many times do we go through life asking God for things without really counting up the cost? We're still talking about a father's love, don't worry. And yet, God in his infinite love and infinite wisdom gives the son what he asks for. But it's for a bigger purpose, and we're getting to that. So the father, again, without argument, without pushback, loved him enough, gives him what he's asked for. And he loved him deep enough to allow him to leave with it. Not only did he divide up the possessions, not only did he give him the inheritance, but he let him go and let him experience all that he had to experience. And I applaud the dads, as hard as it may be, that we don't confuse control with compassion. We don't confuse trying to control and manipulate our children with having compassion for them. Yes, we want them to make right decisions. Yes, we want them to do the right thing. But it's important that we not try to control them in the process. There are times when we have to pull them close, and there are times when we have to let them go and experience what they need to experience. I have a Tony. You at home, you might not know what that means. Our middle child, Tony. My wife is lifting her hand. Seriously, Tony is the quintessential middle child. He tests everything. He asks every question. Even when you don't have time to answer the question, the question is going to come. So you have to learn to anticipate the question. I've not gotten there. My wife is way more patient, and I'm, I'm working on it. But the fact of the matter is, Tony... Sometimes I want to control him. Sometimes I want to just, you know, and there are times when he gets headstrong and he wants to do the thing, whether you try to explain to him that it's going to hurt him or not. It doesn't matter. There are certain things that Tony has to just experience, and unfortunately, I, as a loving father, have to stand back, allow him to experience it, and then wait to come in and embrace him when it goes wrong. And how many times have we gone and we done the thing, even though 
God was trying to tell us. Holy Spirit was trying to tell us. He put several roadblocks, a few hurdles, a few barricades in front of us, and we still plowed through. And he loved us enough to let us go. It may be hard to watch your children make wrong choices, but that's why we train up a child in the way that they should go so that when they are older, they will not depart from it. They might veer off the path, but ultimately they're going to come back to it. Doesn't mean they won't make mistakes. They'll make plenty. We've made plenty. But yet and still, God loves us even when our choices don't line up with his way. He loves us even when we reject him. The second way that the father loves, he loved him enough to wait for his return. Now notice, Jesus didn't say that, and the father locked the doors and changed the locks. Didn't say that. He didn't say that he buried himself in his work and made himself unavailable. The father, after the son had spent all, he returned home and the father saw him afar off. How did he see him if he wasn't looking for him? If the father wasn't keeping an eye out for his son, how would he have seen him afar off? And I submit to you, friends, that God is waiting for us, even in our times as prodigals, even in our times that we have rejected him and rebelled against him. The father is still waiting, eagerly, searching. Jesus said the father saw him afar off, just like the lost sheep or the lost coin. We matter enough to God for him to look for us. Don't get it twisted. God knows right where we are. He's just waiting for us to make the journey back home. God's all-knowing. God's all-seeing. So he knows what's going on. We see to the corner. God sees around the corner. God knows what's happening. And even though he tried to tell us the bridge was out, he still loved us enough to let us go, and then he's there to catch us when we fall. Which brings me to the third point. He ran to his child. Jesus said the father saw him, had compassion on him, and he ran to him. Now, what dad among us, seeing your child after a long time away from them, doesn't run to their child? Anyone? What dad, seeing your child in trouble or in need of help, doesn't run to your child? Romans 5, 8 is so important because it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
okay? Let me read that another way. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he ran to us. Now, if I was in a Pentecostal church right now, that's where the organ would start going. And that's where people would start running and jumping and shouting and yelling. Because when I think about where I would be if God didn't run to me, when I think about what what my life would look like if God didn't run to me, I would be a mess. The songwriter said, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. He chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Another songwriter said, God of salvation, you chase down my heart through all of my failures and pride. On a hill you created, abandoned in darkness, the light of the world. Abandoned to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. Friends, regardless of where you may have been or you may be going, know that the Father loves you enough that no matter where you are or how deep the sin is, he will run to you. His love runs to us. That's love. And that's why we say, we preach, we teach here, love runs too. Because it does. Because while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. His love ran to us 2,000 years ago. God saw where humanity was going even before the foundations of the world. That's why it says the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Because God saw the sin issue before it even started. And his love began running to us even before it happened. That's good news. The fourth way he loves, he celebrated his lost son. The father didn't condemn the son, nor entertain the son's negative self-talk. That part. You know how when we mess up, even though Christ accomplished our justification and there is nothing that we can do, good or bad, that will either take away or add to the love of God, but God's perfect love has already justified us. You know that part? Yet we start the negative self-talk, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I'm not worthy to be just, if you just make me one of your servants. Father's like, uh, you, go get the fat calf, kill that, let's, you know, run it past the fire and, you know, make that medium rare. And, uh, yeah, I need you to get the robe, get the ring, 
get the shoes, I need you to get all that. No, not those. Get the, get the yeah, yep. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, he didn't judge or condemn his son. Scripture even teaches us that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Yet we spend most of our time condemning ourselves instead of resting in his love. The son mattered so much to the father that the father celebrated his return. Dads, if you're going to chastise them when they're wrong, celebrate their wins. This one I had to learn. This one's personal. Because love keeps no record of wrong. So if, if we're going to discipline them, right, because we chasten whom we love, if we're going to discipline them, then we have to celebrate them when they're doing the right thing so that they don't always associate dad with the wrong thing. That's my one tidbit, my one tidbit. I promise you I'm not beating you up, but I'm showing you how the father loves so that we can go and do these things. God knows when we mess up, so beating ourselves up about it doesn't serve a good purpose. But we rest in that love. The important thing is that we come to ourselves because the Father is waiting with loving arms to receive us on our return. Isn't that good news? Final way that he loves. I'm just about done. He lovingly corrects the older son. The older son's perspective was whack, y'all. It was whack. And yet, the father lovingly corrects him so that he can shift his perspective. He was suffering from what I call the disease comparisonitis. You know the one. You're scrolling on social media, and you're measuring yourself up against all your friends who are traveling, and you're not. Or you're measuring yourself up against the new job that they got, and you're still you know, at that same one, the one that doesn't appreciate you, the one that doesn't pay you what you're worth, that yet you're still faithful to. He compares himself against the brother, and he's like, look, I've been here. I've been faithful. This dude wished you dead, took your money, spent it on prostitutes. Now he's back and he gets a party. Dad, you didn't turn up for me? Where's my turn up? Where's my calf?
He compared himself against his brother rather than rejoicing that he had returned. The older brother was like the Pharisees and the scribe in the beginning of the chapter who were self-righteous and refused to rejoice over the tax collectors and sinners being impacted by the love of God. And it's important for those of us that are in the kingdom that we celebrate with those that are coming into the kingdom, regardless of how long they've been in. It's our job to celebrate them and to continue to show that love, even in our faithfulness. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Not only did the love of the Father cover the lost one that left, but it covered the faithful yet jealous one that stayed. His love covered. The Father's love was reckless enough to reach the one, and thorough enough to keep and correct the 99. I want to read one more scripture, and I'll leave you with this. And the worship team is going to sing Reckless Love. This song impacted me a lot deeper after this. Y'all, I got to point three, and I was in tears putting these notes together. Because of how the love of God chases us down. This song has way a, a, a deeper meaning for me now. So we're, they're going to sing, we're going to worship, and we're just going to thank God for his love. And then we're going to ask him to help us to love ourselves so that we can effectively love others. When was the last time you told yourself, looked in the mirror and looked at yourself in the eyes and said, I love you? When was the last time you told yourself that you are strong? When was the last time that you encouraged yourself? Let that love transform you. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A father's love, our father's love, is perfect love. And we strive to live in and rest in that love so that we can share with others. Reckless love. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing Podcast. 
Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelanson.com. You belong here.